Hey folks, Andy Patton here, trying something a little different for WCC Wednesday, looking at the big three in the conference. That's, of course, St. Mary's, BYU, and University of San Francisco, and their chances of making the NCAA tournament, whether it will be a four-bid conference or not, and taking a look at their chances of beating the Zags this year and what they would need to do in order to make that happen. All right here, Locked on Zags. Don't go away. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, ready to take you through another season of Gonzaga hoops, and we are getting close to conference play. It is so close. We've gotten most of the way through the non-conference slate. Obviously, Gonzaga has a huge game coming up against Texas Tech on Saturday. We're going to talk a ton about that in the next couple of episodes. But after that, there are only a few smaller kind of, for lack of a better word, gimme games before the start of conference play. From then on out, Gonzaga's schedule is, as we would have expected, two games against the high-profile opponents of the WCC. That includes Gonzaga, or excuse me, that includes BYU, St. Mary's, and San Francisco. Those are the three most notable teams in the conference. So what I want to do today, instead of giving you a quick rundown of every single team in the conference and how they did over the past week, because frankly, sometimes there's not a lot of different stuff to report on that, and I don't want these episodes to get stale. So it's still Wednesday. It's still WCC. That's still what we're discussing. But for today, I kind of want to focus on the big three schools BYU, St. Mary's, San Francisco. There's been a ton of talk. The biggest conversation about the WCC throughout this season has been how many teams they're going to put in the NCAA tournament. That's right, folks. This is no longer a one-bid conference. For the majority of the time that Gonzaga has been doing what Gonzaga has been doing, it has been a auto-bid conference. That's it. Whoever wins goes to the NCAA tournament. Whoever doesn't win in the championship game doesn't. That's it. Obviously, the last 10 years or so, Gonzaga has been basically an automatic. I don't think there's any year in the last 10, save for maybe the 14-15 season, where Gonzaga had to win the WCC championship in order to go to the NCAA tournament. That hasn't happened in a really long time. But for the most part, whatever team is playing Gonzaga in the WCC championship kind of had to win that game. They had to beat Gonzaga in order to go to the NCAA tournament. There have been a few years where BYU or St. Mary's have gotten auto bids, but it hasn't happened where they've both gotten auto bids, and we've seen that three-bid WCC. And what definitely hasn't happened is a four-bid WCC. In fact, the last time a team not named Gonzaga, St. Mary's, or BYU went to the NCAA tournament from the West Coast Conference was the University of San Diego Toreros in 2008, when they, you guessed it, beat Gonzaga in the WCC championship. The rest of the conference has been steadily improving. We saw a great Pepperdine team last year that a lot of people kind of beefed up as a potential NCAA tournament team. We've seen San Francisco be good for quite a while, but not nearly as good as they've been this year. We've seen Santa Clara have their moments. We had a lot of enthusiasm and excitement about LMU this year, unfortunately. Hasn't really come to fruition, but this year, finally, we're seeing seeing the fruits of that labor. We're seeing good coaching hires start to pay off. We're seeing more challenging non-conference slates start to pay off. We're seeing the WCC push themselves as not just like one of the better mid-major programs. They're trying to establish themselves as the legitimate premier non-Power 5 
basketball conference in the country. Now, Power 5 does not include the Big East. The Big East is almost certainly always going to be ahead of Gonzaga, or excuse me, ahead of the WCC when it comes to basketball conferences, and that's fair. I don't think the WCC is going to challenge the Big East anytime soon, but reasonably, can they slot in at number seven right there? Yes, absolutely. And right now, they are on pace to not only be the best or second best mid-major conference in the country. They're on pace to do better than some of the Power Five conferences. The ACC looks really bad this year. I have a hard time imagining that they won't still eventually end up putting four teams into the NCAA tournament because of history, because they're going to have more difficult conference slates because they play good teams. They play Duke a couple of times. They play North Carolina, all of that. But they don't look good. And the Pac-12 has three good teams and then a bunch of not good teams beyond that. Obviously, you have UCLA, you have Arizona, and you have USC, and those three teams are not only easy tournament teams, they're top 10, top 15 teams in the country. Really, really good. Outside of that, Oregon's been a massive disappointment. You know, Washington State has been okay. Utah, Colorado have been okay, but they don't really look like legitimate tournament teams. So the WCC could very realistically have as many or more teams in the NCAA tournament as potentially the Pac-12, which would be a tremendous win for the West Coast Conference to be the premier basketball conference on the West Coast. So anyway, what I want to do today is talk about those three schools, what their tournament chances look like, how badly they need to beat Gonzaga in order to make the NCAA tournament, and then, of course, what their matchups with the Zags might potentially look like. We'll start segment one with the BYU Cougars' Mark Pope squad. They are 8-2 on the season, they are 1-0 in quad one games, 2-2 two two in quad two games. Their losses on the season are to Utah Valley and Creighton. Creighton was their most recent game. They fell to the Blue Jays in that one. They have wins over San Diego State, Oregon, Utah, and Utah State. So a qu- group of pretty nice wins there, three really good wins. Utah State, a, a pretty solid win as well. According to the ranking system, they are 29th in net ranking, 25th in Ken Palm, so right around the top 25, the AP poll doesn't quite have them in it. They received four votes last week, so they're still getting consideration for being a top 25 team, but that loss to Creighton certainly helps them. Joe Lenardi's latest bracketology report at ESPN has BYU on the sixth line, so pretty squarely still holding on to a spot in the NCAA tournament. The notable non-conference games remaining, they only really have one against South Florida. So that's kind of a bit of a bummer for them. They've played most of the tough games that they're going to play. Obviously, they got two or three against the Zags, two or three against St. Mary's, and two or three against the University of San Francisco. All of those games are going to help them out as well. Looking at the path to beat Gonzaga. So first of all, I don't think BYU, they're not in a spot where they need to beat Gonzaga to make the NCAA tournament. If they reasonably, you know, only lose four or five games in conference play, which seems even even five games in conference play would be a lot. If they lose twice to Gonzaga, they lose once or twice to to St. Mary's or San Francisco. They can't really lose any other games. But if they lose eh, four-ish games, they're still going to make the NCAA tournament. More than that, and they're going to be a little bit more questionable on that line. But realistically, I think expecting them to be between a five and a seven seed makes a lot of sense, particularly if they can at least sneak one from the Zags. Um, 
Mark Pope is pretty good at this. He's pretty good at beating the Zags. This is something he has done well as a coach. BYU has been a thorn in Gonzaga's side. Uh, as much as we like to kind of laugh at them for coming to the WCC, thinking, hey, this is our path to basketball relevance, never winning the WCC championship, and then bouncing uh, to a different conference, which is what they have done. They have still been one of the most difficult teams for Mark Few and his team to defeat. Uh, right now, the biggest thing that is holding them back from potentially beating the Zags is they only have one shooter. They have one shooter on their roster, Alex Barcelo, who is fantastic. He's a great player, uh, all WCC first team caliber guard, probably not quite all uh, all American level, but very, very talented guard. Uh, he's shooting 46.2% from three on the season, but the team's total as a unit, is only 33.5%. So this is a capital B bad three-point shooting team. Outside of one player, they do not light it up well from beyond the arc. That is a reasonable path to beating the Zags is shooting well from the outside. Winning any game, it helps to shoot well from the outside. We saw Alabama have a ton of success. They knocked down 10 threes in the first half against the Zags reasonably. It would be for BYU to beat Gonzaga, they're going to need to shoot it well from beyond the arc. And that is not something that this team has proven that they are capable of doing. Beyond that, they are suffering severely from injuries to their front court. Gavin Baxter, this poor dude, he's a Provo native. He was going to be the next big thing at BYU. And for the third season in a row, he has suffered a season-ending injury. It is just devastating. He's a very talented player, 6'9", 240-ish pound big man. Does a lot of really good things on the basketball court, but he is out for the rest of the year. Richard Harvard, who has not played yet for Gonzaga, he suffered an in, or for BYU. He suffered an injury early in the year and has not set foot on the floor. That is really devastating for this team. We have seen since the Gavin Baxter injury, BYU, who used to be handily out rebounding most of their opponents, is now negative in the rebounding margins. They got killed on the glass by Creighton. That really, really sunk them. And having to face Drew Timmy and Chet Holmgren when you're down your two best post players is devastating. If Harvard doesn't come back, this BYU team is going to be really, really small, which is not something they've done in the past. You know, they had Matt Harms last year, the big man from Purdue, seven foot three. They've had a lot of really talented big men in the past. And for them to come into these games, potentially down both those guys really puts them in a tough spot. They're going to rely a ton on Caleb Lohner, their freshman from last year, who's a sophomore this year, 6'8", 230. So he's got some size on him. He's a decently built dude. He's having kind of a frustrating sophomore campaign. I think they expect him to take a bigger leap forward than he has so far. He's averaging seven points and six and a half rebounds. So he's not been terrible by any stretch of the imagination, but he hasn't really stepped forward as like a true secondary offensive player the way that I think Mark Pope and the staff probably wanted him to do. Now he's going to be tasked with either guarding Drew Timmy or Chet Holmgren. They're going to rely a lot more on Atiki Eli. Atiki, who has played very little, he's a true freshman for BYU. He has not played much this season. Now we're going to see him step into a much bigger role over the next few weeks. How he does in that bigger role will be a big determining factor in how, how BYU is going to face up against Gonzaga. The other thing for the Cougars, they don't really have a big physical backcourt, which has obviously been something that has really helped teams defeat Gonzaga or even play well against Gonzaga the way that Tarleton State did. We saw BYU, or excuse me, we saw Duke have a ton of success with Trevor Keels and Wendell Moore. We saw Alabama have a ton of success with their guards as well. BYU has very talented backcourt. Obviously, we already mentioned Alex Barcelo, Spencer Johnson, Tejon Lucas are both very talented players as well. 
but they're not big physical, like just push you around type of guards. Barcelo and Lucas are both 6'2", 180. Spencer Johnson is 6'5", but only 175 pounds. So they just don't have a ton of size on the perimeter. And I don't think that they're going to try to utilize those strategies of you know, harassing Gonzaga's guards early and away from the basket, trying to force them to give the ball up early, trying to push them into turnovers. They may attempt to do this, but it doesn't really fit the style of player that they have, and I just don't think would be all that successful. The biggest thing for BYU, they're going to need big games, not just from Barcelo, who obviously needs to be good, or from Caleb Lehner, who needs to be good, but they're going to need big games from their wings as well. Spencer Johnson and Fusini Traore. Johnson's averaging 8.5 points, 3.4 rebounds. Traore is averaging 7.6.1 boards. I never want to rule out BYU from beating the Zags. They have done it successfully more than anybody else in the conference for the last seven years. They could do it again. There's no reason. There's not a compelling reason to believe that this team is not capable of beating Gonzaga, but realistically, the blueprint for success against the Zags is not a blueprint that really fits BYU's current game plan. They're not great outside shooters. They don't have an interior low-pro scoring presence. They don't have big physical guards to push them around at the perimeter. So it's going to take a Herculean effort from Alex Barcelo or a really significantly challenging game from Gonzaga. If they really, really struggle, I could see that happening. Obviously, BYU is not a fun place to play. The Marriott Center, they could make things a little bit miserable for the Zags there. But I don't think this is, this doesn't strike me as the BYU team that's going to give Gonzaga as much trouble as some of the teams in the past. All right, that was a quick primer on BYU, where they're at this season, what it might look like when they play Gonzaga a couple of times this season. We're going to come back in the second segment, take a look at Randy Bennett's St. Mary's squad. Before we get there, though, let's talk about prize picks. All right, college football fanatics, have you heard about prize picks? PrizePix is daily fantasy made easy. I love this app, and I know that you will too. PrizePix is a leader in college sports daily fantasy. They offer more college football props than anyone in the world and offer all the star players from not only the Power 5 schools, but your favorite mid-major programs as well. New users that deposit and use the promo code LOCKEDON will receive a 100% instant deposit match of up to $100. PrizePix allows mixed sport entries, so you can take the over on Chet Holmgren, combined with the under on Patrick Mahomes in the same entry. Use the award-winning app on both the App Store and Google Play. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy. Don't hesitate. Check out prizepicks.com and use promo code LOCKEDON or go to your App Store and download the app today. PrizePix is daily fantasy made easy. Today's episode is also brought to you by NetSuite. This is it, the putt to win the tournament. If you sink it, the championship is yours. But on your backswing, your hat falls over your eyes. Is this how you're running your business? Poor visibility because you're still relying on spreadsheets and outdated finance software? To see the full picture, you need to upgrade to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system out there to power your company's growth. With visibility and control of your finances, inventory, HR needs, planning, budgeting, and more, NetSuite is everything you need to grow as a company all in one convenient location. NetSuite lets you automate your purchases and close your books in no time while keeping you ahead of your competition. In fact, 93% of businesses surveyed increased their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Over 27,000 businesses already use NetSuite, and right now through the end of the year, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind financing program to those ready to upgrade at netsuite.com slash NCAA. Head to netsuite.com slash NCAA for special end-of-the-year financing on the number one financial system for growing businesses. That's netsuite.com slash NCA.
All right, segment two, still Andy Patton, still locked on Zag, still talking WCC. Of course, it's WCC Wednesday. We're not going through every team and looking at how they did last week. However, instead, we're focusing on the big three. That's the non-Gonzaga big three of BYU, St. Mary's, and San Francisco, discussing their tournament resume, what it might look like if they make it into the NCAA tournament in March, and how they're going to fare against the Zags this year. Segment two, we're talking Randy Bennett's St. Mary's Gales. They are 9-2 and two as I'm recording this. By the time you are listening to this, they will have played Stanislaus State. I am guessing they will be 10-2, and two, but stranger things have happened. As of right now, they are 1-2 and two in quad one games and 0-0 zero and zero in quad two games. Their two losses are to Wisconsin and Colorado State. They have wins over Oregon, Notre Dame, and Utah State. The net rankings have them 40th in the country. Ken Palm has them 35th, despite being right around the top 25 or just outside of it. They did not get any votes in the AP poll last week. I think they're pretty squarely between 25 and 50, which is not the worst spot to be. It kind of puts you in that spot where you're comfortably in consideration for an NCAA tournament spot, even though you are not necessarily a top 25 team in the country. Indeed, Joe Lenardi agrees with that sentiment. He has them on the 10 seed line right now in his latest Bracketology report. For the Gales, they have two notable non-conference games remaining. The San Diego State Aztecs, who they are playing on the 17th of this month, so just a couple days away, and then they have Yale on the 28th. Uh, There's no shame in either of St. Mary's losses. Uh, Both really good teams, Wisconsin and Colorado State, two teams that should be in the AP Top 25. Uh, I think Wisconsin was the top vote-getter that did not make it in. Colorado State is a team that has been uh, disrespected throughout most of the season, similar to San Francisco, who you'll talk to later on. So these are some some quality losses, for lack of a better term, for Randy Bennett's team. He also has a trio of really quality wins. Oregon and Notre Dame are great wins. Utah State is a good win as well. Uh, kudos to him, a credit where credit is due. This this was a solid schedule. He did a good job of putting together a decent schedule with a pretty good roster. He has been notoriously criticized for not being willing to play games outside of the state of California, for not really traveling to neutral site games, not doing a lot of home and homes with with good quality opponents. Uh, some of that criticism is is fair and legitimate. Some of that criticism is a bit unwarranted in the sense that it's really hard to convince teams to play you. Gonzaga is at the point now, finally, in the last couple of years, where they can really get some of those blue blood programs to play them. When they had North Carolina in town, they obviously had Texas in town. Uh, It's been a challenge to get those games on the schedule for Mark Few, and I imagine for Randy Bennett, where the, the game is viewed as more of a risk in the sense that a loss is more devastating. Losing to Gonzaga is not that big of a deal these days. Look at where Texas and, U- and UCLA are ranked. It didn't hurt them. Losing to St. Mary's hurts them. And going to Moraga and trying to play that team the way that they play is really hard. So a lot of good teams are just opting not to do it. Bennett should probably go out there and play some of those games on the road. And I know that that's not fun because they're harder to win. And there's some give and take there that it doesn't seem to be happening in a way that is is fair to criticize Bennett potentially and their staff for not making those games happen. Gonzaga was willing to go out and lose to Duke at the Madison Square Garden and Michigan State on the road and, and other games like that. But at the end of the day, this year, things turned out pretty well. They got themselves a handful of really nice games for very quality opponents in Wisconsin, Colorado State, Oregon, and Notre Dame. Uh, two of those ended in, in losses, but that's okay. I think this is still a pretty quality team. 
less so than BYU though. They they it's more important that they have a really successful conference slate. This is where not having the great non-conference schedule can come back and bite you. This is a good non-conference slate for them, and if they pick up a win against San Diego State, it will help even more. But at the end of the day, finishing third in the WCC this year, if that's where they finish, third or fourth, it's going to put them in a trickier spot. They probably need to win more than half of their games against Gonzaga, BYU, and San Francisco. And that's not an easy task this year. It's very difficult for them to beat Gonzaga. We'll talk about that in a little bit. BYU is not going to be an easy game for them either, and neither is San Francisco. If they go 3-3, and that puts them in a, that's five losses if they don't lose a single other game. They'll probably lose at least one game in the WCC tournament. So that's six losses. A six-loss St. Mary's team probably makes it, but they're going to be right on that line. I'm not as confident in a six-loss uh, six St. Mary's team as I am in a six-loss BYU team. I don't know that that's necessarily fair. I think these two teams are very comparable talent-wise. But I think that's probably the way that it's going to be viewed. So the Gales need to go four and two probably against Gonzaga, BYU, San Francisco. They need to avoid losing to a Santa Clara or a Portland or a Pepperdine or whomever. And that's been difficult for them because of the style they play. They're susceptible to losing to teams that are worse than them. It's happened to them before. And if they drop a game to a Pepperdine or a Portland or a Pacific, that puts a lot more pressure on them to have to win some of those big games in order to make the NCAA tournament. So looking at the path to beating Gonzaga. So Bennett's recipe has worked in the past. He's done it before. He doesn't do it every time. Obviously, hasn't had as much success as Mark Pope and the BYU Cougars have had. But Bennett's really, really slow, snail pace offense. They're really methodical, pass the ball a lot, wait till the shot clock runs down, try to get an efficient look. That has worked, and there's there's reason to believe it could work again this year. Gonzaga's defense is improved that from what it has been in the past against St. Mary's, but we've also talked about a lot this last week. Gonzaga's defense seems to still be searching for their identity. They had it for a while. They were playing the passing lanes really well, getting a lot of steals, getting out in transition, scoring a lot of baskets that way, playing this aggressive perimeter defense because they were relying on Chet Holmgren and Drew Timmy to be rim protectors. Then they've kind of gone away from that, and it's something that I think they need to find. They need to figure out who they want to be defensively before they get into conference play. And one of the big reasons is because teams like St. Mary's will exploit whatever weaknesses there are in Gonzaga's defense. The last few games, Gonzaga's defense has let the opposing team do what they want with the basketball. If they do that against St. Mary's, if Gonzaga lets St. Mary's walk the ball up the floor and lets them make all their passes and lets them go through all their sets and do all their stuff, that's going to be a problem because this team can be, is really efficient at scoring the basketball. They have the 320th pace in the country. There's 356 Division I programs. Their pace is near the bottom, but they're top 40 in efficiency. So this is a team that they do what they do what Randy Bennett teams do. They slow the pace. They don't let you get out in transition. They don't make a lot of mistakes. They only have 12, about 12 and a half turnovers per game. So they're not going to give the ball up very often. They're going to take 28 seconds on the shot clock and they're going to get good looks. If Gonzaga just lets them do that, which has been the MO the last few games, there you could see a recipe for this being an, an ugly game for the Zags. Uh, even, I mean, it could be a loss, it could be a win, but it might be a pretty ugly win, even if they get that. 
The Gales are allowing 59.3 points per game. That's 30th in the country, sub-60. Now, Gonzaga's not going to score less than 60 points against the Zags. I feel pretty confident, excuse me, against the Gales. I feel pretty confident in saying that. But again, this is 59.3 points per game. This is against schools like Oregon and Wisconsin and Notre Dame. Like, they've played some pretty good teams. A lot of people believe this is Randy Bennett's best defensive team. So that... That could be cause for concern. Again, if Gonzaga lets St. Mary's play this slow, methodical offense, doesn't put a ton of pressure on them, and also is susceptible to playing against a really good defensive team and a physical team. This is a physical team. St. Mary's has some size. They got some dudes. Dan Foto is 6'7", which isn't huge, but he's 225. He's pure muscle. He plays bigger than his sizes. He's averaging 12.5 points, 4.4 boards. He's shooting 61%. From the field, obviously, Chet Holmgren and Drew Team are going to have their hands full there. Then you have Matthias Toss, who's having an outstanding season. Kind of been waiting for him to break out for a while for the Gales. He's 6'10", 245. So again, we're talking about a guy who's got at least 50, maybe 40-ish pounds on Chet Holmgren. 11.5 points, 5 boards, also shooting 61% from the field. So those guys are going to give Gonzaga some trouble down in the paint, more so than almost any other team in the conference more so than a lot of the teams they're going to play in the non-conference as well. Now, St. Mary's doesn't have a great outside, is not a great outside shooting team. And that's something that they have been good at that in the past. And it has helped them seriously. If you're going to use 29 seconds on the clock and then you're going to score three points, that's pretty devastating. That's the worst case scenario if you're the opposing team and you're trying to get out and run and you're trying to build a lead. If you let them hold the ball for a long time and then score three points, that's, that's a bad situation. Similar to BYU, St. Mary's has one shooter. It's Tommy Cousy. Tommy Cousy is shooting just under 52% from three. The team as a unit shooting 34.3%. So they are a bad borderline average three-point shooting team. If you take Tommy Cousy out, they're bad. 52% for Cousy from three. He's going to be a problem. He's been a problem every time Gonzaga has faced St. Mary's, he's just a really talented player. But you add in him, you add in the big physical guys they have in Toss and Foto. You look at some of the other players on this roster. Logan Johnson's averaging 9 points, 4 boards. Uh, Alex Ducasse is averaging 9.5 points, 3.3 rebounds. They got some talented guards. They got some talented front court players. But they just don't have a lot of outside shooting. I think a big factor in this game beyond the outside shooting is the glass. St. Mary's only gets 33.5 rebounds per game. That's 284th in the country. However, they only allow 27.5 rebounds per game, which is fifth in the country. A lot of that is less about rebounding and more about pace, obviously. If <laughs> if you're taking 29 seconds and you're forcing the other team to take 29 seconds, there's less shots that are going up. You're a super efficient scoring team, so you're making a lot of your shots. That's just less rebounds that exist. So that's a big part of it, obviously. But Gonzaga needs to out-rebound St. Mary's in this game. They need to out-rebound them by a significant chunk. Chet Holmgren, Drew Timmy, they, Julian Strother, they need to crash the boards really well in this game. Take advantage. Don't let St. Mary's get second-chance opportunities. Get some of your own second-chance opportunities on the offensive side of the board ball. If they can do that and they can avoid turnovers, St. Mary's doesn't force a ton of turnovers. They only average about 12 as a team, which is fantastic, but they also only give up about, or they only get about 12 turnovers per game as well. So if Gonzaga can limit turnovers, cannot get flustered by St. Mary's slow, methodical play and their big, their physical defense, I don't think they're going to have a ton of trouble here. This is a decently equipped team to beat Gonzaga, though. We know the recipe 
for beating the Zags right now. Physical guards, pushing them around at the perimeter, some size down low to bully and, and push around Chet Holmgren and Drew Timmy, and outside shooting. The Gales don't have that last part, <laughs> but they do have the big physical guards, or at least they have some physicality. They have the type of pace that can really force Gonzaga to play their style of basketball. Hopefully the Zags will come in and try to force St. Mary's out of that. But in the past, they have kind of let St. Mary's do this. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And this team is good enough that it could be a problem if they let them do what they want to do. All right, the two most notable WCC programs have been discussed. We're going to come back in the third segment, talk about the most exciting program in the conference, the upstart Dons of the University of San Francisco, one of the few undefeated teams remaining in the country. Before we get there, though, let's talk about Bilt Bar. Bilt Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever, plain and simple. It's a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Bilt Bar has nine delicious flavors, including some all-time favorites like raspberry, mint brownie, peanut butter brownie, coconut, and my personal favorite, salted caramel. Of course, Bilt Bar is not only great tasting, they are healthy too. Most Bilt Bar flavors have 17 grams of protein, 130 calories, and only 4 grams of sugar. Nine amazing flavors, all tasty and all healthy. Go to BiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your first order. That's BiltBar.com, promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off your first order. Today's episode is also brought to you by BetOnline. BetOnline is back and better than ever. BetOnline has a new web interface for the start of the NBA and college basketball seasons and features more props, odds, and lines than ever before. BetOnline remains your number one spot for all of the basketball and football action this season. Head to our new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code LOCKEDON to receive your bonus. From basketball, football, NHL, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports. All right, segment three, still Andy Patton, still locked on Zags, still WCC Wednesday, and we're still looking at the three biggest programs in the conference that are not Gonzaga. The realistic possibility of the WCC being a four-bid league, which looks more and more possible by the day, particularly because this team we're discussing in segment three, the USF Dons, haven't lost. They are 10-0 on the season, one of very few teams remaining that does not have a loss on their record. They unfortunately have still not crept into the AP top 25, despite being 1-0 in quad one games, 3-0 in quad two games. They have impressive wins over Davidson, Nevada, UNLV, and Fresno State. Net likes them at 26 in the country, so even Net is not quite confident. They're a top 25 team. Ken Palm has them 32nd, so again, they're right on the cusp of being in the top 25 for the AP poll. They did receive over 30 votes. So they are getting a lot of attention as a potential top 25 team. I got to tell you, I'm going to be pumped if San Francisco slash win San Francisco, we're going to stay optimistic when they get themselves into the top 25. It would be a really cool accomplishment for coach Todd Golden and the Dons, but their goal is not the AP top 25. Their goal as is the goal of every team in college basketball is to make the NCAA tournament. They want to go dancing. They have not gone dancing for a very, very, very long time, this program. I won't go into their entire history. Maybe that's for another episode someday, but 
Obviously, this is the program that birthed Bill Russell. They've had incredible amounts of talent in their program in the mid-80s. They shut their program down with some issues in the neighborhood, some some, some stuff that went down uh, that caused them to shut their program down. They haven't really found that level of success since then. It's been a long road to building the program back. They've had some good years. They've given Gonzaga some trouble. About 10 years ago, they were a big thorn in the Zag side, but never a realistic contender for the NCAA tournament. Now they are. Joe Lenardi's latest bracket has them as an 11 seed. This would be the third at-large bid from the WCC, a remarkable potential accomplishment for this conference, a conference that mostly has been known for being the conference that Gonzaga beats up on every year, uh, and to see them be in a potential spot where they could put four teams in the in the NCAA tournament, almost certainly, I don't want to say certainly, but very likely to put three teams at least in the NCAA tournament, a uh, really, really cool accomplishment for this, uh, this conference. For the Dons, they have two pretty notable non-conference games remaining, Grand Canyon on the 18th and Arizona State on the 19th. If they win those two games, there is absolutely no way they are not in the top 25. Neither of these games are extraordinarily impressive. Arizona State has been flat bad for most of the season. In fact, they're one of the worst Pac-12 schools. Grand Canyon would be a nice win, though. This is a good quality program. And beating Arizona State, a Pac-12 school, on the second night of a back-to-back, I don't care if it's Arizona State. That's still impressive. It's hard to beat anybody on the second day of a back-to-back. If they're able to pull that off, that would be extremely impressive and should net them a spot in the top 25. Realistically, even though they're on the cusp of being a top 25 team, they still got some work to do to make the NCAA tournament for a team that doesn't have the pedigree that BYU and St. Mary's has. Unfortunately, they're probably going to get less of a leash. Uh, They got six games against BYU, St. Mary's, and Gonzaga, of course. Uh, They got to win. They got to go. They got to win four of them. I think they have to win four of them. Maybe they can go three and three if they don't win, if they don't lose any other games. If they, let's say they lose to Grand Canyon, they lose three games in conference play. That means they lose no games to anybody other than, let's say they lose two to Gonzaga and one to either BYU or St. Mary's. You're talking about a four loss San Francisco team with at least a win over BYU and St. Mary's and wins over, you know, the aforementioned UNLV, Nevada, Davidson, Fresno State. That's that's probably going to get in. It depends on how some other teams do. That's not guaranteed to get in. If they obviously if they beat Gonzaga once, if they beat Gonzaga twice, certainly they're probably in. If they beat Gonzaga once and they do well against everybody else, probably in. But if they lose, if they struggle against a Santa Clara, they drop that game. They drop a game to LMU. They drop a game to, certainly they drop both games to, to St. Mary's, both games to BYU. You know, they, I don't think they can be a six-loss team and get in. And I don't know that's necessarily fair because if those six losses come to the top-level teams in the WCC, they probably should still get in, but I'm not sure that they will. I don't know that they have the pedigree, the kind of pizzazz necessary to get into the NCAA tournament just on bravado. And, and, and I think that they're going to need to be a five five or less lost team, probably a four or less lost team. And that's really hard to do when you're probably going to play Gonzaga twice and might reasonably play Gonzaga three times if they play them in the WCC tournament. So let's talk about USF's path to beating Gonzaga. So the first thing it takes to beat Gonzaga is a good coach. Check. Todd Golden is a great, great coach. It's it's a something to watch significantly in the WCC is if San Francisco can keep him employed. Because a lot of there have been a lot of good coaches that have come through San Francisco and other good programs in the conference, and they keep moving on. 
they keep going somewhere else. Kyle Smith's at Washington State. This has happened a lot for San Francisco in the past. And if they can keep Todd Golden, it's going to make a big difference in how this conference has continued to perceive. The best way to keep Todd Golden, get this team to an NCAA tournament. The Dons don't play quite as slow of a pace as St. Mary's, but they are a slow-paced team. A big difference for them between between them and St. Mary's and them and BYU. They're a really good shooting team. They shoot 38% from three as a team. That is extraordinary. Jamari Bouye is shooting 47%. Julian Richwain is shooting 57% from three. Josh Coonan shooting 42%. This is a really good outside shooting team. Their guard play in general, extraordinary. Jamari Bouye is a stud. If you have not heard about this guy, if you have not watched this guy play, I implore you to find a chance to watch the Dons. Obviously, most of you will see him when they play the Zags, and that's great. But if you can get a chance to see him against Grand Canyon this weekend, see him against Arizona State, Jamari Bouye, absolute stud. 20 points per game, 5.5 rebounds, 3.6 assists, 1.6 steals, and 1.2 blocks. The dude is stuffing the stat sheet. Like I said, he's shooting 47% from three. Just a remarkable, super talented player. There's talk of him being an All-American third teamer. There's talk of him being not only All-WCC first team, but challenging for player of the year. He's not going to win it because of Drew Timmy, because of Chet Holmgren. But the fact that he's in that conversation is remarkable. Beyond Bouye, Khalil Shabazz, 10.5 points, 2.3 rebounds, 2.2 assists. He's been really struggling with his shot lately, but he's a very talented player. And if he starts getting heating up... Uh, as a shooter, that's going to make them even more dangerous. Gabe Stefanini, 10.5 points, 2.8 rebounds, 2.4 assists as well. So a really nice performance from Gonzaga's guard. Now, excuse me, from USF's guards. Now, they they don't have a ton of size. They do play physical. They, do, they are likely going to put pressure on Gonzaga. I think Todd Golden watched a lot of tape. I'm sure that he did. He's watched the Tarleton State game, watched Alabama, watched Duke. I think they're probably going to try to be really aggressive and physical with Gonzaga's guards, but they don't quite have the size to do that as effectively as perhaps Duke did or or certainly Alabama. But I think that that we're going to see them attempt to do that. And they have the talent. These guys are good defensively too. Bouye and and Stefanini and Shabazz are all good defensive players. So I think we're going to see them try to be pretty physical and, and push Gonzaga's guards around. USF also does have size. Yuhen Masalaski is great. 6'10", 245 pounds, a legitimate big man. Lots of times the, the WCC doesn't have big men outside of Gonzaga, BYU, St. Mary's. It's, it's rare to see other programs with like legit bigs. And Masalaski is that for USF. 13.5 points, 7.2 rebounds, and just under two blocks per game. He is a force in the paint and a guy that Chet and Drew are going to have to deal with in ways that they're not going to have to deal with a lot of bigs in the WCC. Patrick Tape having a good year as well as a reserve 6'9", thick, sturdy guy, seven, four points, four and a half rebounds, one and a half assists for him. And then coming off the bench, they have Voldemir Markovetsky. Pretty sure I'm pronouncing that correctly. He's not playing a ton, but he's seven foot one. That's just a big dude that they can put into the game. If nothing else, he can commit five fouls in 10 minutes and give Gonzaga's bigs uh, somebody that they're going to have to push around in a significant way. He's averaging three and two on the year, but that they got some size. They got some depth in the front court, something that Gonzaga hasn't faced a lot of teams with size and depth in the front court, and they're not going to face a lot of other teams with that. Texas Tech will be one. St. Mary's, as we mentioned, has some size. They don't have as much depth, but they have some size, but that's going to be, this is what's going to make USF a struggle. 
We've talked about the the recipe for beating the Zags. We talked about it a handful of times in this show. We've talked about it a lot, a lot in the last couple of shows as well. Well-coached, balanced, good shooting, physical guards who can push Gonzaga's backcourt players around, and a depth in the front court. Multiple players who can play down low. USF has all of that. They have all of that. Todd Golden's a good coach. They get scoring from a lot of different players. They're a great three-point shooting team. Their guard, the physicality from their guards is maybe their weakest spot, but it's not a weak spot necessarily. They still have it. And then, of course, the multiple talented big men. Frankly, USF might have the best chance of any team in the conference of beating Gonzaga. I, I don't think that that's even that controversial of a statement at this point. Obviously, BYU has had the most success against Gonzaga in the past. St. Mary's is a good roster. Randy Bennett has beaten the Zags as well. But this USF team has... Not only are they undefeated, not only are they arguably as good as both BYU and St. Mary's, they also just have the right mixture. They have the right guys to, to exploit Gonzaga's weaknesses. Gonzaga is going to make adjustments. They're going to fix some of their weaknesses or at least work on correcting them. I know that that's going to happen. We all know that that's going to happen. But at the end of the day, some of those weaknesses aren't going away. And teams that have the ability to exploit those weaknesses, Gonzaga hasn't been a good perimeter defensive team in a very long time. If USF can come out and shoot 40% from three, which is dang near their average, they're going to give Gonzaga some trouble. So I don't think Gonzaga is going to lose a bunch of games in conference play. I'm not sure they're going to lose more than two games, maybe one game in conference play. We're, we're, we're not used to seeing them lose more than one or one at all, quite frankly. But USF might have the best chance of anybody that they're going to play in the WCC of actually beating them. And they're also hungry. Like I mentioned it, BYU probably doesn't need to beat Gonzaga to make the NCAA tournament. They almost certainly don't. St. Mary's, it would be nice. It would kind of ensure it, I think, for them. But they're probably going to get in the NCAA tournament without beating Gonzaga. USF probably needs to do it. And it's not fair. It's not necessarily... It, they, they're very realistically going to get left out of the NCAA tournament unfairly. But beating Gonzaga probably solidifies it or comes really close to solidifying it. So they are motivated, more motivated than anybody else in the conference to beat this team, to put themselves in the NCAA tournament. I never, ever want Gonzaga to lose. The feeling I have when the Zags lose is similar to the feeling all of you have, and it sucks. It sucks. But... If this is what gets the four-bid WCC dream to be a reality, if this is what causes people to realize that the WCC has more teams or the same number of teams in the NCAA tournament as the Pac-12 or the ACC, for God's sake, if that's what needs to happen, I'm, I'm okay with it. I make that trade. I accept that. If somebody told me right now, hey, the only way it happens is if Gonzaga drops the game at San Francisco at the Hilltop, I say, fine. It's going to suck in the moment watching the students storm the court, especially if, if, if San Francisco's ranked and their students are storming the court, which always bothers me. But if that's what it takes to get four teams from this conference into the NCAA tournament, I'm making that deal. And I think it's realistic. I think it could happen. Unless Gonzaga makes wild adjustments or San Francisco has an off night, both which could happen, I think that San Francisco has a very good chance of defeating the Zags and making that four-bid WCC a reality.
All right, tomorrow is Andy Locks. Hot takes coming your way. I just gave you mine. Now I'm ready to hear yours. Submit them to me at Twitter on Twitter at ScoreZagScore. Email me at AndyPatton013 at gmail.com. I'll get all your hot takes out there. Grade them one by one. Friday show, I'm going to be speaking with a guest, an expert on all things college basketball. We're talking Texas Tech and Gonzaga, the big game on Saturday morning. Get your coffee ready. 10 a.m. West Coast for that game. All of the previews you need right here, Locked on Zags podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts and available on YouTube as well. Finally, thank you for making this show your first listen of the day. Now is a great time to make your next listen, the Locked on Bets podcast. Locked on Bets is your daily one-stop shop for all of your gambling needs. Locked on Bets is hosted by your boy Q with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. All right, thank you all for listening and go Zags.